Amen. I'll tell you what. Uh, don't you love it when there's a purpose for something? Like when something actually makes sense? You ever look at this little coin pocket here? How many of you guys think this is your coin pocket, this little guy here? You ever put a coin in there? You know what I'm saying? Let's be honest. You know, I actually looked it up. What's this pocket for? Originally, this pocket was for the men that would wear styled jeans like this, and they would have that little watch that would strap to their vest, and it would go into their main pocket, and they'd take that little watch that would hang in the the designer's Levi denim jeans, made a little pocket for the watch. That's actually not a coin pocket. It's a watch pocket. Now you know. Okay. When something has a purpose, you finally know what it's there for why this exists and what we are now to do with this. And when there's clarity in your life, oh, that's what that's there for. And I'll tell you what, you need to understand that in verse 11, he says, therefore. And in verse 19, he says, now, therefore. He's making some conclusions, some applications to the teaching he'd already laid out. And that teaching he laid out is very simple. It goes this way, verses one through three, our work, what we did. Does anyone remember what verses one through three was? Oh, and you, dead in sin and trespasses. Oh, who was following the ways of the world, living for Satan, following your own flesh. That's what you and I did. And he lays out that case beautifully, verses one through three. You and I are the zero. And then he goes on to say, God is the hero. Verses four through seven, he says, but God made us alive when we were dead in trespasses and sins. And he begins to blend this case together, this contrast. And in verses Eight through nine, he says, God has done this all by grace, not by works. It's his work in us. In verse 10, that's where we ended last week. He said, now he's done a work and wants to do a work through us. That is where his workmanship created to do God's work and to do good works amongst men. And in verses 11 through 22, it crystallizes. He actually uses real tangible illustrations, this animosity Very well known then, accepted in our day, well known then, this animosity between Jew and Gentile. And he said, ooh, ooh, good works. What what must that look like? And he said, well, here's what it's going to look like for you Jews and Gentiles then, and then for humanity later as you are in Christ. That conflict and division between you and other peoples, other races and sizes and colors and classes and races, that, yeah, it, it goes away. There is no separation. The middle wall, and he goes on to then eloquently, verses 11 through 22, show us what a work of God through us will look like among us. I just want you to get that as I begin to now ramble on and unpack that. What is, a lot of words in here, circumcision, the uncircumcision, and all the rest. And I want you to right now at the front end of this say that if you're in Christ, if he's done a work in you, he now wants to do a work among you. He wants you to be the most generous and the most benevolent and the most kind and the most accepting person, non-judgmental, non-critical, non-racist, non-sexist, non-classist, non-ageist person in the entire world. Not because of the UN or the culture or the government, not because of any other movements, but truly because you understand that you have been grafted in, you've been adopted, you're part of a bigger family than your own. And it's so mind-blowing and so beautiful and so powerful would it have been then. By the way, the schisms that, in fact, that they dealt with then. Did you know Paul was in prison when he wrote this? Did you know that the reason he's in prison right now while writing this, the reason he's in prison is he was being accused of blending these lines There was an actual, a literal wall there in Jerusalem that separated Gentile from Jew. And somebody accused him of grabbing some Gentile homies and bringing them on the other side of the wall to offer sacrifices. He he didn't do that. He wouldn't cause a riot. 
but he did have Gentile friends. And he's actually being accused uh, of blurring these lines in this way and in this fashion. That's why he's in jail. So he writes and says, guys, gals, humanity, moms, dads, ins, outs, Jews, Gentiles, we all, through Christ, have access now to the Father. It's so profound and so important because, again, most of you want to be good Christians, want to do it right, don't want to blow it. I want to make sure I do, am who I am supposed to be. And God's put you in Lincoln County, very, um, I'm gonna, anyways, <laughs> it's a very undiversified area, okay? And we just kind of get along and we just kind of move along. And the, did you know the world's a lot bigger than Lincoln County? Did you know that? Do you know the world's a lot bigger than, than the US of A? Have you, don't raise your hand, but if you traveled the world, man, it is eye-opening how many different people there are and how many different kinds and sizes and shapes and colors and smells and all the rest. And if you're not careful, you'll think that, oh yeah, we're the ins and they're the outs or we're us and they're different. Listen, that's what Paul is addressing in today's text. And so it's very profound, very applicable. I want you just to get it. And he goes on in verse 11 to say, therefore, remember that you who were once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. Before he gets into this paradox, this, this life of now accepting people as they are in Christ and not dividing them, he says, remember before you were in Christ, and he just kind of invites them to remember. It's very important that we spend time remembering who we were prior to our life with Jesus, because now you're not your own. You were bought at a price. You are to glorify God in your bodies, which are his. You, you, when you were outside of Christ, not only were you alienated from the goodness that Christ gives, but you were a rebel. You did whatever you wanted. And if you didn't want to do this, you didn't like to do that, you didn't do that. But now that you're in Christ, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay, you, you, you don't have that freedom. You have trusted somebody to be the governor of your life. Jesus, you've given, you say, hey, whatever you want. You, <laughs> I get to go to heaven based on your work? Wow, is there anything I can now do for you? He says, yeah, live for me, okay? Represent me. Verse 10 says, you're my poema, my poem, my project, my workmanship. And God is displaying a project through you. Wouldn't that be awesome? God says, I wanna, get, I wanna send a message to the world through you. Do you guys think that the church right now is representing a message? I'm not saying from him, but a message you think the church has a message for the people? You think anybody looks at a church and says, that's what I thought. I thought that's what they were all about. You ever been to a church service before and kind of just left queasy? I don't know if I belong to this crowd. I don't know if I'm part of this. Or Listen, God says, I want the message that my kids have, the poema, the workmanship, the project. I want it to, I want it to be very clear. And I want it to be one that's all-inclusive and full of love and full of forgiveness and grace, and full of a family that is very diversified, but is very unified. Only God can do that. The world's trying super hard to do that. Do you guys realize that? I mean, the world is working super hard to do that, and they're not, they're not able to do it because they're doing it apart from the head, apart from the Father. So the UN, the United Nations, and governments all around, and Middle East peace committees, and everyone wants to do and establish what God says. Oh, that's, we did that. We did <laughs> We did that. We broke down the walls. There's now total acceptance. And when you eliminate God and you eliminate Christ, you can't have what he has offered only through him. So look at, let's look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, 
and called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. I don't want to spend too much time on these uh, words. They would be very common in those days. Basically, to be circumcised meant you were a Jew. To be uncircumcised you meant anybody and everybody outside of a Jew, okay? Whether you were a Samaritan, whether you were a Chaldean, whether you were a Babylonian, whether you were a Canaanite, whether you were a Roman or an Egyptian, anybody Gentile would be uncircumcised. And he was telling these guys and gals, remember when you were in your flesh uncircumcised, that is, Gentiles. Look at verse 12. Here's what happens when you are outside of Christ. He says that at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. That verse alone has many circles and underlines in my Bible and numbers and just all the, the depth of depravity and darkness that is associated with those first couple words. Let's read the first couple words again that at that time you were without Christ. There's nothing scarier than that. Those words alone. He, he summarizes them. He's like, oh, by the way, what that means is, but without Christ. There's, there's, there's nothing scarier than those words, without Christ. Do you remember what your life was like without Christ? What a mess. You remember what you did and what you thought, where you went, what you liked and who you were? Man, it was crazy. That's life without him. With Christ comes forgiveness and joy, peace. With Christ comes assurance and hope, faith and love and power, direction in life. And he wants us to understand, hey, therefore, now that you're saved, just remember a little bit. You were crazy. You were out to lunch. You had no forgiveness, no peace, no purpose, no hope. No safety. Now in Christ, you have all of these. He goes on to illustrate in verse 12, not only were you without Christ, but you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Aliens, or another word would be strangers from the commonwealth of Israel. You were no part of the family. You were an outsider. You guys know what that's like, don't you? Just to be on the outside looking in. And you look at the children of Israel in that day, we don't really understand what that would have totally been like, but he's talking to the Gentiles in Ephesus saying, guys, remember when the Jews had all this access to the Father and the commonwealth, the promises of God? You didn't have that. Aliens, he goes on to say that you were strangers from the covenants of promise. Now, these covenants that God gives to Israel are great, and a covenant is a promise that God would be good, that God would provide, that God would guide. And these are promises given to the children of Israel. Let me just say one thing about Jews and Israel, God's chosen people. Okay, do you know why God chose them? Neither do I. He chose them because he wanted to. You just need to understand that. They're just like normal people. Even Israel today is just a normal, primarily secular country that is still by God's grace, chosen as his people. It's not because they're better or do better. It's because God chose to choose them to illustrate his salvation plan. And then through Christ, he now extends that covenant, that promise to choose all whosoever would come unto him and would say, yes, Lord, instead of no, Lord. And so he illustrates this. It's not about them. It's about him. He's a chooser. He's a lover. He's an adopter. He's a father. He's a pursuer. He is a lover. And if you don't have Christ, you're a stranger from those promises. And I love promises. I love the promises of God because it's about him, not me. And if you're not careful, we'll talk a little bit today about legalism and and about um, what we think. But it's all about what God and who he is. He is the hero. We're the zero. And so he wants us to understand that because of Jesus, we now have access to these things that we prior didn't. So not only were we without Christ, aliens and strangers from the covenants, we had no hope. 
just stop for a second there. Most of you are Christians here. Okay, so you come in with all kinds of real life stuff. Okay, fears and pains and life stuff. Now I wonder how this is going to go, and I wonder if, if, and the Blazers won last night, but I wonder if they can win again. You know, I just, I hope so, but I just don't know. I don't know, you know, I don't know. And man, the election's coming up and I can't wait for my candidate. Oh, wait, I don't have a candidate, you know? I can't, I I hope, oh, you know, oh, you know, it's like, listen, as much as there is in our world going on that's crazy, global warming and economic imbalance and food shortages and and hurricanes and earthquakes and and radiation water, ah, we still come in, in Christ, full of hope. I've still got hope. I am, and it's not even fake hope, like blazers have, fake hope, you know? Like, I hope, you know? It's, it's actually real substantiated hope. It doesn't actually matter what happens. I actually am guaranteed it's going to win. And I would just ask you, where's your hope at today? Because all those other things are, whoa, we just don't know where this is gonna go. We don't know if the big one's gonna hit. We don't know if there's gonna be an economic collapse. We just don't know. But one thing we do have hope in, because he's saying here before Christ, you were without hope today in Christ, you're full of hope. In the midst of your battle, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your pain and aches and divorce and picking yourself up off the ground, ha ha ha, I still have hope. I have hope in Christ. And he wants them to realize that no matter what they thought in Ephesus about their sports teams or their economy, that they had no real lasting hope. And those who are in Christ do have that hope. They were without hope and without God. I mean, he just lists, I just wonder if he was just throwing, there's six things indicated in here that you don't have when you're outside of Christ. You're aliens, you're strangers, you have no hope. You're without God. By the way, this is the core problem with governments today, agencies and systems. The the core problem of why there can't be a complete balance and there can't be a, a complete morality and a completeness at all in the UN or local government or big government or local business or big business is because primarily they don't have God. And they're trying to do it their own way. And when you try and do it your own way, it's just not going to work. And so if you've ever wondered why there's corruption in the government, you ever just wondered, like, what? What's going on? They don't have God, by and large. There are individuals there that love God. Don't get me wrong. I think you know that. But by and large, God has been checked at the door. And now all of a sudden, corruption and defeat and immorality. And what's happening? And this is the curse of those who have rejected God You just don't have him. And if you don't have him, if he's not present, if he's not president, if he's not preeminent, it's not going to work. And so you personally, this is your problem. If you want more peace and love and purpose and hope, I'm honest, get more God. Just, Just put more God in it. Put more God in your finances, more God in your marriage, more God in your parenting, more God in your neighboring, more God in your working. Just get more God. The government, again, the world's around us. Like, man, it's just the God thing that's irrelevant. Can you imagine if you're... If God made the world, and he did, and then made humans, and he did, and said, let's do this together, and humanity, by and large, says, we got this. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate you, but we're going to run it now. It's like, really? Is that how it works? Do you really think you can handle it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, do you know how it all works? <sighs> Does it matter? It's It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, no, God. It's craziness. 
just craziness. We see this at the core level, even in our own homes, even with our own kids. And we burst these kids into our houses and we feed them. And if we don't feed them, they die. And we, we keep them alive. And everything we give to them is what sustains them. And yet so quickly they are independent and know-it-all and can-do and don't need you. And I just, my kid, anyways... He says you're without God. Not, not only are you without Christ, you're aliens, you're strangers. You have no hope. You're without God, and you're in the world. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. The ways of the world are going darker and darker and dimmer and dimmer and slowly fading away, but the things of God are renewing daily and continuing to being built up. And He just wants this contrast. Yeah, Paul, the preacher, he's so good, so good. He goes on to say in verse 13 as we continue through, hoping to reach the end of chapter two today. He says, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, all of a sudden he says, but that's not how it has to be for you. You who were so far off have now been brought close to God, near to God. And the Bible teaches that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I want you to just notice the words he chooses. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, the blood of Christ is very important. His blood was sin-free from birth. Yours isn't. Do you realize that? When you were born and conceived, the bloodline was passed down from your father to you. There was a sharing, physical sharing, and your father was a sinner, born sinner naturally, and then through participation as well. So you were born into sin. God, through the Holy Spirit and through Mary, without the help of Joseph, concepted Jesus born of a virgin. Why was he born of a virgin? Was there a purpose to it? There was a purpose to it. That his bloodline, unlike yours and mine, would start perfect. Not only did he start perfect, but he actually lived perfect. You started imperfect and then lived very imperfect, even to this very day. Christ was born perfect, sin-free from the very core, and then lived perfectly. So that way, when his blood was poured out of his hands and his brow and his feet and his side and his back... When his blood was poured out, it satisfied the very holiness and the wrath of God on your behalf. That it wasn't just you serving a sentence and satisfying the judge or the judge just giving out arbitrary mercy, but instead, no, no. The blood of Christ actually paid for you, brought you who were far near. You need to understand that it wasn't just a legal term or a legal transaction. It was a term of love served for you and served for me. That Christ was born sinless and then said no to sin daily, 33 years for you and for me, that his sacrifice would be accepted. It was a term of love and it was a sacrifice of love. And Paul wants us to understand that and wants the Jews and the Gentiles then to understand it as well. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross, and I've shared this many times, I'm hoping you're remembering it, he had seven things to say from the cross, very important words. His first words out of his mouth when his blood was pouring out, wasn't father help them? Father guide them? Father comfort them? Father strengthen them? Father teach them? None of that came out of his mouth. That's not what you needed. <laughs> That's what the world wants. Just Show me a little bit. I just need a little help. Just a little, just a little counsel, a little guidance. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. It needs to just go to the base level. They don't just need a pat on the back or a little handout or a 
whatever. They need forgiveness. Understand that, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here's my question to you practically then. Do you feel near to God right now? Many people uh, suggest different ways to come near to God. Some think you can do it by keeping the law, other by belonging to a group. And the only way you can be brought near to God is by the blood of Christ. So if you don't feel near to the Lord right now, it's not about you. I'm just, we, we get legalistic. I don't feel close to the Lord. I haven't been doing my devotionals. Remember that time Luke asked us to pray for 15 minutes a day? Ah, 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 you know? Uh, How are we brought near? Get this, students. How are we brought near? (laughs) His prayer on the cross. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And his blood poured out for you. And you now are brought near. The handwriting of requirements against you has been taken. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter 2. I'll just read it to you. It might come up on the screen. Verse 13, Paul, the same author, writing to a different church in the same region. He said, and you being dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, same thing. He is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Wow. I'm telling you. He has done the work for you. You are aliens, strangers, without hope, without God in the world, without Christ. And then I started going to church. I started doing my devos. I started working real hard. No, there was a handwriting of requirements, the the, the law, ordinances, against you. How are we going to deal with that? Oh, there's only one way. There's only one way. It's not you woulda, shoulda, coulda. It's the blood. Be nailed to the cross, disarming principalities, it goes on to say. I'll tell you what, it has nothing to do with you. If you put your trust in him, you can receive his nearness today, right now. You can leave being near, broken and wounded, having broken ordinances, and you're a lawbreaker and a sinner by nature and choice. And he knows that. That's why he died. It's all about him. Paul is tripping. He has nothing else to talk about. This is it. Oh, oh, oh. He goes on in verse 14. He says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation between us. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you want peace, and he's using this illustration. He's, this is so profound in that day that there's been this wall that was broken down that separated these two people groups, Gentiles and Jews. And because of what Christ had done in separating these getting rid of the separation and joining these two together. Paul now is illustrating that, but he wants us to know that that nearness to him and that inclusion to each other isn't by what we do or don't do. It's not by the law or not keeping the law. Look at verse verse 14 again. He says, for he himself is our peace. If you want peace, okay, just get this. It's not by keeping the law, tooth and nail, Some of you think this. Legalists, pay attention. If you're a legalist, sit up straight. I'm just kidding. Everyone's like, don't move. Don't move. Don't move. And legalists, man, you get closer to God by doing better. Okay? 
you read and you pray, you say no to sin and yes to holiness, and, and you just feel, and there's this, this, this attaboy, pat on the back, at a gal kind of mentality that creeps in, and if you're not careful, it goes into then a comparison of other people, and, and you take it to the next level, and you begin to really introspect yourself and read other books by other legalists and do what they say now, and I say other books because this is the book you need to read, and there's other books you can read, and you start to, start to make your own clothes and put covers on your head and, you know, jean skirts, you don't read the funny papers on Sundays, you know, and you can't play with your friends, and there are all kinds of rules that come up, and guess what? You feel closer to God. Let's look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. When he says both one, he's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews, the Jews who would be the rule keepers, the ones who do it right. He says, you know where the peace is at? It's actually not by that, and it's actually not by being a Gentile. Did you know that the Gentiles had no moral standard or system? They could make up their own rules. Don't raise your hand, but do you remember when you used to make up your own rules? Man, that was fun for a while. Wasn't it fun for a while? The Bible says that's fun for a while. That's what the Bible says. Making up your own rules is fun for a while. That's what it says. It says sin is enjoyable for a season, but in the end, it yields death. Okay, don't be deceived, okay? Sin and craziness, super fun. Super costly, though. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. The wages are death. He says here, you know where the peace comes from? Listen, legalists and listen, rebels. Because there's people in here who say, man, if I just do better, I'll have peace. If I do more, I'll have peace. If I finally just, I need to get that full peace. Something's missing in my life. I need to do more. You say, no, no, he himself is our peace. And then there's the rebel heart that says, if I just do whatever I want and get whatever I want and go wherever I want and be whatever I want, I'll have that peace. And he says, no, no, you're both wrong. You're both going after peace the wrong way. He himself is our peace. It's Christ, the prince of peace. And so it's not about being a rebel. It's not about being a legalist. Matter of fact, if you're looking for peace and fulfillment and keeping all the rules, oh man, you're gonna be a miserable person. Straight up, miserable. If you're also looking for peace and fulfillment and living crazy and above the law, you're going to be miserable. It's going to catch up with you quick. But if you look to Jesus for your righteousness and for your forgiveness, then you'll be in perfect peace. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 26 says, he who has his mind stayed on the Lord will be kept in perfect peace. Okay? For you who are tempted to make yourself happy and do whatever you want, thinking it will bring you peace, it won't. It's, not, it's a trick. For you who are thinking that if I just figure this out and get this and impress God and impress Pastor Luke and pray for 16 minutes a day, I'm an overachiever, you know, you're miserable. But he himself is our peace. Jesus, go to him. Go to him, the one that prayed, Father, forgive them. Go to him, the one that said, come unto me and I will by no ways cast you out. As a matter of fact, he says, the middle wall of separation has been broken down. Paul was in jail for this very wall. When I went to Israel, there was uh, walls just like that. There was uh, the women's area. There was walls and there were certain tunnels we had to go in. And one were Gentiles and one were male and one were female. We had all these separations. I was like, this is crazy. Still to this day, it's prevalent in that culture. And Paul says, Christ has changed all of that. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, he's having abolished in his flesh, that's sacrifice, the enmity, that's enemy, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create 
ah, in himself one new man from the two, the two being Jew, rule keeper, moral, and right by their own achievements, and the rebel, the one without hope, the one without Christ. He's made those two one, making peace. Look at verse 16. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity, that is the separation, the middle wall. Creator reconciles the creation. That's how it works. Infinite reconciles the finite. And we're all sinners by nature and choice, whether you're a legalist or a rebel, but God and through Christ Jesus does the work for you and for me. In verses 15 and 16, you can just study it on your own. He uses the words flesh, body, and cross. This wasn't, again, something that happened easily. Jesus went to war in order to give you peace. He put to death the enmity. These words are crazy. And so practical is it today. If you're trying to get peace from any other source besides Christ, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. And you've been around some real, moral, upstanding citizens, and the thing they do not have is peace. Pride. Superficialism. Stuff. You, I have it too. Okay, we all have it. Don't, if I call you legalist, don't laugh at the person next to you. I'm talking to you. It's Christ. It's Christ. Look at verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. I love verse 17. Listen, he came and preached. Listen, look at verse 17 again. Get this. And he came and he preached peace to who? To you who were far off and to those who were near. Just imagine this. This, this, Verse 17 should get you through lunch today, okay? Should get you all the way through lunch. Just think about it. Jesus came and he saw the Jew and he's like, peace. Okay? It's not about what you're doing. It's about me. I'm actually the fulfillment of the law. And he spoke to the legalists, to the high moral society, to the ones who think they know it all. He said, I'm talking to you. And he looked at the rebel heart, the crazy Samaritan woman with five husbands and one she was living with at the time. And oh, she, oh I'm talking to you. To everybody in the same message from Jesus Christ to all people, this and that and low and high and in and out. Paul says, it's crazy. This he, Don't you think sometimes God has a different message for you than he does for others? And Jesus would look at you and say, nah, same message. One time I actually evangelized this guy at the Ashland Christian Fellowship for two hours after second service on a pew right up front. Two hours into it, I was answering all his questions flawlessly, leading this guy to Christ. And I kind of looked up at the Lord and winked one time. I was like, we got this guy. We got this guy. And the Lord spoke to my heart immediately. And he said, I'm just as concerned about him as I am you. Like, (laughs) this isn't me and you against him, bro. I'm not kidding. It was like, oh, really? Like, I I need the same message I'm trying to shove down his throat? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, it's not about being near or far, it's about Jesus. He preached the same message. Verse 17, he just came and he preached the same message. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. In this verse, you see the Trinity, by the way, uh, through him, that is Jesus, we both have access by one spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, to the Father, that is Father God. Most of you don't need proof text for the, uh, for the proof of the, Holy, or the Trinity, but some of you do with your Jehovah's Witness friends or your Mormon friends or your other cult friends. Uh, this is a verse you would take them to. 
You're welcome. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Okay, this verse again is worth tripping out on uh, for the rest of the afternoon. Uh, that God has reconciled us to himself. Okay, most of us can get with that. Like, yeah, you need to understand what Paul's going for in this 11 through 22 is not only has he reconciled us to himself, that's legit, but he's done a reconciliation this way. This is the work, this is the poema. This is the project. This is what God wants. He wants you to be reconciled to your fellow believer, that there be no isms or schisms or divisions. There was at that time. There is at this time. And he wants you to be aware of that and to be very careful of that. It's life-changing. It'll change everything. And again, this is what the, the UN and the Middle East Peace Committees and everyone cannot do without Jesus is they cannot have access to God and to one another. Look at verse 19 through 22. This is where the last portion we'll study today and where it kind of makes a lot of sense for you and for me. It says, now therefore, we gotta know what it's there for. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Man, doesn't being a stranger just stink? You go to a new environment, a new church even, or a new library, or a new gym, or a new school, new class, and you're the stranger. And when you're the stranger and you see other strangers, you look at them, you're like, they're strange. And you begin to judge them and like wonder about them. I remember one time I was on this plane going to Peru, and there was this one Mexican guy, Dave Gomez, and he was on this plane, and he was just a stranger to me. I didn't know the guy, I'd never met him, but we were on the same team apparently going to Peru, and I'd never met him. And when we got to Peru, the main translator, Jeremy Haskell, got sick. And all three of us guys were like in the same area, in the same bunk, same dormitory there in Peru. And all of a sudden, we both, Dave Gomez, who was a stranger to me, I never knew or met him, and myself, we needed our translator to be healed. And so we together came in unity and prayed for him. And I just, I remember it forever because I just remember looking at this guy. Man, he's strange. He's different. He's different. And to this day, I texted him just a couple days ago. We text all the time and he's offered, he, he pastors a church in Medford now. And, and we're just really, really good friends. My wife and his wife spent time in Mexico together and in a, uh, an orphanage down there. But there's that time where you're a stranger. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. I'll tell you what, we are included with each other in our lives. We get to love each other. We're different, aren't we? We're, we're, this last Friday, now nah, it's called Thursday, I went to the Assembly of God Church here in town, and they hosted a all-church-wide National Day of Prayer, Worship, and Prayer event. And I'll tell you what, they were a lot different than I am, and a lot different than y'all are, and a lot of different churches there. And as I sat there, I was like, wow, that's different. That's different. Wow, that's different. Oh, but I was rejoicing that they are saved by grace, not of works, that we are in the same family bloodline through Christ. We have the same hope and the same home and the same destination. And the diversity of the church, even in Lincoln County, is rich and beyond is richer. And Paul wants us to explore that. He goes on to give us an illustration that may help you in your differences. Verse 20. Or, or let's look at verse 19, the very end. He says, you're members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, 
in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. I don't have much time to develop these verses, so you have to read them on your own before your life groups this week, verses 19 through 22. But what he says at the end is that we are now part of the same household. We're part of the same building. We're part of the same project. And Christ is building us up together on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. <laughs> the chief cornerstone being Christ Jesus. Now, the chief cornerstone in those days would be a cornerstone that would cause all other stones to stick together. Without the cornerstone, the whole building would actually fall apart. The cornerstone in those days was actually more important than the foundation. We know through other scriptures, Christ is the only foundation and we are built on him. But he uses this picture that I think we all understand well. He says, you Gentiles and you Jews... And you people over here, and you people from the Assembly of God Church, and from the Nazarene Church, and from the Foursquare Church, and from the Lutheran Church, and anybody who's part of my church, you're all being fitted together, built, fashioned, and shaped, snug as a bug in a rug. (laughs) In order that God would dwell with you richly, both now and eternally. It's a trip. God has made humans are so beautiful all over the world. They're so majestic. The creation, he's the creator and he's made you in his image and redeeming humanity and offering that hope and salvation and inclusion and familial adoption to anybody and to everybody. There is no exclusions. There is no class, no hierarchy. No div- it's perfect. Yet have you found yourself fitting perfectly with humanity in the church? Have you found yourself getting knocked around a little bit in the church? Did you know that in the temple of Solomon, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, as they were building the temple for Solomon, let's go back, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. Building the temple, Solomon built the temple. And you know that when he consecrated the temple, the glory of God showed up in such a way that people were knocked on their faces and the glory of God dwelt there. Remember that? Before that, though, was the building process. And when they were building the temple, outside in the rock quarry, here's what the instructions from God were. Take all the rocks, all the stones, all the hardware, that's you and me being built up as living stones. He said to them then, take the stones and fashion them in such a way that as soon as they get to the temple mount, they fit perfectly. Did you know that at the temple mount, when it was built, there was never the sound of a saw, never the sound of a stone, never the sound of a hammer, never the sound of a chisel. It was all at the rock quarry. Read First Kings chapter 6, verse 7. It all happened out there. So that way, when they were joined together, it was beautiful and harmonious. Here's the point. At the rock quarry, it was loud. Hammers, chisels, saws, blockheads, rough edges being knocked off left and right. And that's where you and I are today. We're in the rock quarry. We're being chiseled. We're being sanded. We're being fit together. That's what he said right there. You're being shaped and fashioned from the inside out to fit snug as a bug in a rug next to the person next to you and the family that you're being built in. And right now, God has preordained and orchestrated people to be in your life that will be a little bit like sandpaper. Not your spouse. That would never happen. But maybe your neighbor or your children or your boss. People in your life that will agitate you. People in your life that will get at you a little bit and knock off those rough edges. And if you're like me, you've got some sticking out that still need to be adjusted. And I would just say right now, 
because of the hope you have in Christ, because of the family that you now dwell in, because of the work that he's done in you already, let him do the work among you now. What is God doing among us? He's shaping us. He's building us. He's chiseling us. Don't resist the work that God's doing in you right now. Does a chisel sound fun? Sandpapers, saws, and tools? None of that sounds fun, but God says, yeah, I'm gonna do that in your heart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you in a family. A, 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 I'm gonna put you in a job. I'm gonna put you in a class. I'm gonna put you in Lincoln County. I'm gonna put you on Highway 101 during summer <laughs> to expose the rough edges. And as you let God have his way and let God fix you. See, the temptation is, is to fix the fix that God sent to fix the fix. And if you fix the fix that God sent to fix the fix, he's going to have to give you another fix to fix the fix that you fixed. Right now you're in a fix. But it's sent to fix you. And you'll have the kindness and the grace and the goodness and the love of God. I'll tell you what. Last just silly illustration. I'll have the worship team come on up. Come on up, Chris, and you can bring the uh, communion out. I really think this message is profound. I don't know how to deliver it any better. Uh, in August in 2010, we, we bought a piece of land in Agate Beach. Six years ago, five years ago, whatever. And that was the first part. And then we hired Mike Warren. And Mike Warren came out to our house with a tractor, and he excavated and got it all level. And then we hired this guy named Paul. He had 10 sons, brought all 10 sons with him to work, and they laid the foundation for our house. It was really cool. These 10 sons work. And I was like, these guys got worker permits? You know what I'm saying? Like, the foundation went in. And then another guy, his name was Paul, also came, and he framed up the house. And then a guy named Terry came in, and he put plumbing in the house. And then another three-man crew, Christian guys from the valley, came, and they did electrical in the house. And then they brought some guys that put up the sheetrock in the house. And then they brought another crew that did siding on the house. These guys were like 10 per Honda Civic. It was awesome. They showed up, did the, did the whole house and like one day siding and sheetrock. And then they did the mudding and all the rest. And then I painted the whole house inside and out. Then they sent another guy that did the trim work in the house and the finish work and all the stuff there. And they had a roofing crew come out. And then we had a landscape crew and the concrete crew. And all of this happened. And then on April 2nd, 2011... We moved in. We brought all our furniture in and all our stuff. Now, if I were to invite you over, I'm not going to tell you any of that. What I would say is, come on over to my house. What part of it's my house? Is it the land that I bought? Is it the Mike Warren contractor that excavated it? Is it the Paul that did the foundation? Is it the framework? Is it the plumbing? Is it the electrical? Is it the siding? And is it the interior? It's all of it. And God looks at you and says, yeah, you're part of my house. You're part of my project, part of my poema, and so are they. There's not, dare I say, there's not one part of my house that I could do without. You know this whole electrical thing? I could just do without that. <laughs> really? Ah, the foundation, overrated. I like all of it. It's all there on purpose. It's very important, and so too. Man, may the Lord heal our hearts from division, from schism, in the church, against Israel, against the Jews, against the assembly of God, against Foursquare, against anybody. <sighs> May the Lord soften our hearts. May there be no room, no room in this body for racism or sexism or ageism or classism. Any, any isms, may we just be those who are stoked to be part of the house and stoked to be growing and being built and shaped 
into the very building that God wants us to be. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're just going to worship the Creator who's invited us in, who's forgiven us of our sins. Lord, I pray for specific application now to be given to your congregation, that as we come to the table and commune, we would know what this means. We'd stop being those who classify ourselves as better than others. Stop being those who look at others as strange or maybe there's somebody here who's beating themselves up because they still got that rebel heart. Ah, I can't do it. I just, it's all about Jesus. He has broken down and removed the barrier of separation and reconciled us to God. Lord, I pray for freedom in this house and I pray for freedom to come from this house. I pray from these people here, Lord, to be those who are given grace to give grace. Forgive us of our sins. We're so small-minded, so messed up, so easily bent. And so, Lord, we come to your word this morning and say, bend us toward your word. Bend us toward you. May we not judge anybody anymore. May we see Christ. May we speak Christ. May we offer Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that has brought us near, for your blood that allows all who are far off and near to come close to God. So whether you think you're way out there, you think you're real close, we all come to Jesus today. If you're here this morning, would say, you know what? I just want Jesus to be my king. I want Jesus to be my savior. I want Jesus to be my God. I'm giving my life to him this morning. I want him to forgive me of my sins and to live and lead my life until I go to heaven and to use me as his project. Would you raise your hand right now and just surrender to the Lord? Hands going up, people saying, yes, Lord. Raise your hand right now to Jesus. You who are far off, you who feel distanced because of your own sin, he prayed for you on the cross and said, Father, forgive her. She needs help. Forgive her. And you are forgiven in Christ. And he said to the man who raised his hand just now, Father, forgive him. Forgive him, Lord. Hold it not to his account. Take it out on me right now. And you're forgiven. You are forgiven and brought near to your Father. Lord, we celebrate and come to the table now and examine ourselves and proclaim your death until you come. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you all stand with me? When you're ready to take communion, come down the center aisles and back out the side aisles. There's people to pray for you on my right and left during this time as well. The tables are open.